Hey, teachers of littles out there. Yeah, you. We see you. Tired of pinning, Facebook grouping, and hoping you struck idea gold? Are you at your wit's end and need a safe space to feed you and get the support you need both in and out of the classroom? Then this podcast is for you. Join Renee Pena Lopez, an early childhood learning specialist who is in the fray with you. Get ready to have an honest and real conversation around early childhood and the challenges of play for littles while learning to connect the dots through guided play strategies. Get ready to sit back and listen in on today's conversation. The magic of littles starts now. I'm here with Ruth, and Ruth, how do I pronounce your last name? Wow. Wow, I love it. (laughs) And she is the um, founder of Mouse Loves Pig, which is an awesome toy company that creates toys that are open-ended and really screen-free, which is my favorite thing. And yes, I'm biased. Um, (laughs) And just really open-ended. So I guess we'll start with that conversation, right? In regards to play, I was on your site. And I remember you talked about this a while ago, about like a joy seeker. So tell my audience a little bit what a joy seeker is and why that's important to the work that you do. Well, I feel like... So many toys that are out there are made for one purpose, and that is push the button, hit the level, Mm -hmm. do the thing, master the toy so you can move on. And I noticed with my own kids that they got bored really easily with a lot of the toys that they were given. And they would play for hours with pots and pans in the cabinets. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. What is Why am I spending spending all this money, first of all? And second (laughs) of all, right? Like, and second of all, like you're right, why are they so interested in them? Mm -hmm. And it really it made me start to notice and start to wonder what is it about those things that have no, you know, quote unquote play value? Like like a, a bunch of pots and pans shouldn't have any play value according to the toy industry. And yet those keep my kids occupied long enough for me to make dinner without somebody underfoot. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> which makes us all like, okay, I should just buy a bunch of bowls. I did that for a while when Lena was like, I don't know, I think she was closer to a year. She was just fascinated with this. Like we had stacking bowls, the plastic mm-hmm. from Avon. And she just went on and on for hours about like putting them in, putting them out, putting the balls in them, the balls out in them. I was like, sure, go for it. Go and for it, it. It made me start to wonder, like, what is it about those kinds of activities mm-hmm. that really capture a young child's imagination? And I started to watch my own children. Like, what is it that keeps your attention and mm. what is it that makes you interested and And we all know, like, our kids have that light-up moment, right? Like, every kid out there, parents can recognize it. Like, all of us know there is a light-up moment for my child that whatever it is they've got, I can't take it away for the next hour because that is the toy of the hour. Yeah, that's (laughs) completely what Lena had at that moment. Yeah, the light-up moment. And I feel like, you know, as a... So this is geared both to kind of homeschool parents and both to, you know, teachers in a classroom, especially with like challenging little ones, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you, right, you, you know all about that. So let's paint, let's paint the picture for my audience about your particular family 
and with the dynamic there before we dive into the rest of it. Well, we have a very bland family. (laughs) (laughs) My husband and I were a little bit older when we had our first son. I had been an architect for years. I had just become licensed right before my first baby was born. And I I lost my job because I had a kid. Well, it turned out to be a blessing though, because it gave me the opportunity to watch my first son and really be there. And as a designer, (laughs) I loved the research. I've always loved Mm. learning about whatever it is that I'm designing for other people. When I was an architect, it was clients. And when I had my son, it became him. What what is it that he needs from me? And what is it that he doesn't need from me that I just need to back off? Yeah. Uh, so what I'm what I'm hearing from you is you use this power of observation, right? <laughs> you do though, right? Lots and of watching, um, yeah. a lot of watching, right? And uh, I guess note taking either on paper or just mentally, but you're taking in about who they are at the moment. You're not trying to move them forward. You're not trying to say, oh, but I miss the skill set. You're not <laughs> trying to fill any gaps. You're just trying to approach who they are and what they can do in that moment and have them develop their own skills, right? Yes, I think totally. oftentimes when you're busy, right, both in a classroom and both maybe at home or at school, you tend to forget those moments, right? And like those power, those like assessments that we get so crazy about, sometimes we lose the power of, okay, well, I just noticed this. How do I build on that? And you kind of do that with your, your toys. Yeah, right. so I think that's important. Yeah. Well, and coming from the design world, coming from the architecture world, I was looking at toys and realizing, oh, these are designed objects. How cool is that? Mm. My kids are all the time using design. And then I started recognizing that, oh, wait, (laughs) most of them are really bad designs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Like it lit up. I have this one toy that someone gave my child and I'm like, I hate this thing. It just lights up and then you press the button and she she's you know she's over it in maybe a couple of minutes, but I'm like, okay, it's the one to, like someone gave it to you, you know, that guilt. <laughs> like somebody gave it to you, you can play with it for a little bit, but I know you're gonna be over it. Yeah. You know? And we also we started looking very early, my husband and I did, at how do we as parents give our children mm. the gift of creativity. Right. Um, we're both creative individuals. I'm, I'm an architect by training and now I'm a toy maker. My husband started out in forestry, but now he's a full-time artist. Yeah. So we, we've been, we volunteered with teenagers for a decade. Mm. Um, and we were watching all of our teenage friends and noticing that there's, in the normal educational system, there's this push toward always have a right answer, right? You know, what is the right answer? And I was noticing the same thing in my child's preschool toys. Mm. There's one way to play with it. There's one way to make it work. There's one way to move the object from here to there. And there are quite a few open-ended toys that are out there that are wonderful that we love. Yes, I agree. But there were quite a few that we were given that were just one way to play. Right. I had this aha moment at one point talking to a teenager. I was like, oh my goodness, she's looking for the right answer when right. most of life is open-ended. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but in my life, there's been so many right. open-ended problems to solve 
And that's building those executive functioning skills, right? So, you know, it's a hot topic and we're kind of like all obsessed with middle schoolers and elementary and, but it's really the basics and a foundation is the gift of creativity, right? Mm -hmm. And you're giving them the open-ended, the problem-solving skills early, right? It's about getting them early. And how do you get it early? For the young ones, it's about being as creative and out there as you can be sometimes, like within safety limits, right? Within safety limits. <laughs> Although I have two little boys, so there's very um, little that they worry about safety. We have lots of skinned knees in our house. Which is great, right? Like that's, that's <laughs> the like badge of childhood, right? Like that's pretty yeah. awesome. That's what I say, like when some kids get hurt, I'm like, you're doing great. You're being a kid. <laughs> like, just don't break anything. Don't exactly. Yeah, just don't break anything. But you know, a little bit of a open skin, you'd be all right. <laughs> Put a band-aid, you'd be okay. Put a band-aid on it. Rub some dirt in it, kid. Exactly. Oh my God. My oh my God, I remember my grandfather telling me that. He was like, it's okay. It's a little peroxide, a little dirt. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, is this a real thing you're gonna do? <laughs> so well, go. And one of the other things I started noticing with my oldest son, when my baby, my boys are just about two years apart, which was an absolute nightmare for diapers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I noticed my firstborn, when my baby was nursing and, and when we were you know, doing things with the baby, we wanted him to be able to entertain himself mm-hmm. and to be able to work on his play by himself. And the things that occupied him the most were things that he was able to tell himself little stories and make up Mm. little scenarios. And I started developing those language skills. Yeah. Yeah. Building those early language skills. Mm -hmm. And both of my boys had delayed speech. Uh, You know, they took a long time to develop language. So we did a lot of, you know, the baby sign language and things Mm -hmm. like that to help them communicate. But I started to notice with my older son that he would use some of the toys that we had the same way that when I remember as a child playing with dolls and telling mm. stories about my dolls and to see him use some of his toys and give, you know, the big block is the daddy block. The yeah. Block yeah. Is the baby block. Yeah. And I started to realize, oh my goodness, that is what play is all about. Exactly. And so many of the gendered toys that are out there, they kind of pigeonhole our kids mm-hmm. before we even realize it right. into different roles. And it's like, if we give them toys that are open, that have no agenda, if we give them toys that are just a landscape for play. I like that, a landscape a for landscape, play, right? They, yeah. they can just, their imaginations go and jump off and what I noticed with when I started developing the travel toys that I've made, kids will come back to them. They will use the little figurines and they will oh travel God, yeah. all over right. the room and all <laughs> over the house. And right. they always come back to the base, the landscape, yeah. the home for the toy. And it almost gives their creativity more wings to give them a solid place to come back to. I yeah. love it. I yeah. love watching yeah. No, I I do too. And so let's go back because my next question is about like inclusiveness in your work, right? So let's talk about in terms of your sons and their speech delays. Did you find that frustrating? Did you find it challenging when they eventually went to preschool? Like I want the 
teachers and the homeschoolers out there to have those options of if their child or littles in their classroom are struggling with speech and they have open-ended toys, what kind of advice can you give them? Well, what we noticed, uh, my second son is the one that has most of the speech delays, and we we ended up uh, with an occupational therapist doing some speech therapy with him, which was wonderful to be able to address some of those issues early. So he did early intervention? Mm-hmm. He okay. Four. Okay, so CPSC here in New York. Okay, great. Yes, but it was not the school that told us we needed to. It was us as mm. parents realizing, you know, this is not normal. <laughs> right. And more than normal, it was he was becoming frustrated with his right. limitations right. and he was becoming irritated that people couldn't understand him. Right. And we were, we were watching. Again, it's that power of observation. Right. We were watching and noticing, oh, now it's a problem because now he feels right. like it's a problem. So he was so losing his happen. voice essentially, right? Like he, yeah. he got to a wall at some point and he was just like, ah, I'm losing my voice, right? I'm getting lost in a shuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important to realize when your child is getting to that point to help ease their roles. Because I often find in my educating both families and teachers that, you know, they're like, this kid is like, you know, behaving like this. I'm like, they're just frustrated. They can't get to, they can't express themselves through the type of play that is probably going on in their minds. And so they're just hitting this wall. And our jobs is to unpack it, right? So, and to help them find ways to communicate. Exactly. And, and to help them, like for a little while, we developed with him almost like his own little paralanguage that he would oh, tell us cool. things that we would, we would understand and we right. would tell other people right. that were caregivers for right. him. Like when he says this, this is what he yeah, needs. Yeah, like you're translating he yeah. his words. And just to give him the option of, you can use what you can and we will do our best to understand. Um, And what we noticed with the toys in that time period when we were really struggling with his language, we noticed that he was gravitating toward those more open-ended toys Mm. that he could play with in multiple ways. He was gravitating toward toys that he could tell his own stories instead of being expected to fall in line with whatever the story of the toy. Right, right. Example of there's a, you know those push the button and they pop up toys? Oh, like yeah, yeah. Push the button. And the peekaboo. I call them the peekaboo ones. Yeah. Some, <laughs> kids, some kids love them. Yeah. He absolutely hated them. Oh, God. I can see why. Yeah. I can see how. Because it's... it was frustrating to him that he would push the button and it would pop up and make the sound. And right. he couldn't mimic the sound. Mm. And yeah. so instead of that, he would gravitate toward toys in pockets because right. he he could make up, oh, it's going to go in the pocket. And he had his own little sound. He had the control for it and he was able to express himself at a level that was appropriate for where he was at, right? And I think- Control is a huge- Right, control, right? (laughs) And I think, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I think we forget that kids need to sometimes, when they feel like they have some type of control, then they feel like they're empowered, Right. And he was just empowering himself. He was like, eh, th- I can't make that wah sound or whatever sound it made. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, wah, wah. <laughs> I don't know. They, they make crazy sounds. They but, make um, such crazy know what sounds. About, right. Uh, so and they made those sounds and he was just like, eh, that's not what I'm, I want to say, uh, you know? Yeah. And I think, er, uh, is a better sound because that's what <laughs> you do. 
but it allowed him to like move past the sounds and then make his own story up. And I think when I look at your site and look at the toys you have about Waldorf and Charlotte Manson and Montessori, they all have these similar philosophies, right? Some do more open-ended, some do more stories, but it sounds like they really influence your work in terms of you looking who the kid is and then you're pulling it out. And that's like, you know, the essence of early childhood, right? So what I was looking on your site, I was really, really excited about. You said children see magic because they look for it, right? Trying to segue into that. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> they totally always look for it, you know. Even when you're sick, even when you're tired, you know, you walk into your car and you're like, oh, these children. And then you're like, oh, wait, no. They're doing some amazing stuff. So what advice can you give to homeschoolers or teachers of littles on how to create magic in their like daily lives when they're kind of down and out? <laughs> I would say the one thing that my, because we are now a homeschooling family. And my, my oldest son went to, yeah, to just the And it's a lot of fun because my husband is actually the full-time teacher. So Ooh. <laughs> 99% of the teaching, which has been amazing for wow. their relationship, their father-son Aww. relationship, have him be the main teacher. We joke that I'm the principal because I helped pick out the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have someone. Yeah. We gotta have somebody do it. But we have noticed that when our kids are having those imagination doldrums, you know, like when kids mm-hmm. just do the I'm bored, mm-hmm. which boredom is great. Every kid needs to be bored for hours upon hours every day because it's great. But when you are able as an adult to join them in their imaginary silliness, that is so powerful. Like that can lift any mood, any time with either of my boys, no matter what, if we are willing to take off the mantle of adulthood and say, something super silly (laughs) or something super imaginative and join with them in their play for a time. Usually it only takes about 10 minutes of joining with them in their play. And it's almost like we're teaching them how to use their imaginations and how to make that's completely what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then expanding your own on top. (laughs) You've forgotten how to do it too. And then it's get back to it get back to it. And then after about 10 minutes, they get bored with my imagination. They're like, okay, peace out, mom. I know. They're like, <laughs> they're like, okay, you have this like limited imagination. I'm just going to like blow it up here, you know, do what I do and keep moving. <laughs> yeah. I definitely feel like right this moment in time, you can connect with a child, be challenging or not. And, you know, I think they, they like their eyes open wide when you're silly, right? They're like, oh, you get this. You get me, right? They feel like they've been heard. And when it's not all about the academics, like as adults, we have this drive to, oh my goodness, we need to finish the curriculum. We need to do the lessons. We need to meet those milestones. We need to make sure that they're doing- And the pressure is that nowadays to keep pushing kids, you know, What did someone tell me the other day? Like, K is the new first grade. I was like, oh, my heart breaks. We heard that when my oldest son was in kindergarten. Kindergarten is the new first grade. Yeah. And because we didn't do out of the home preschool, I was homeschool preschool with both of my boys. uh, We were told initially, oh, he's going to be behind because Mm. he wasn't out of the home. What's that definition of behind, right? Even if your child is 
behind of what? Like, it's just kind of heartbreaking. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's heartbreaking, both for like your child and for the teachers, right? Because they're trying their best. They're trying so hard. (laughs) And the teachers that he had were blessedly, they were so good about letting him use his imagination and letting him follow his interests. But I think as homeschoolers now, it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of, Mm. we always have to be educational. Mm. And there are so many times that we don't. Right. Right. We just need to be there and be part of what they're learning. Um, so it's about presence, right? No matter yeah. what setting, it's about the presence of, even if you give like your 10% and they meet you <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> you're doing a lot more in their lives than you think, right? Homeschool or in their classroom. I definitely think, yeah, I definitely think presence, right? Like sometimes you forget, I mean, they have this push for technology in some places, right? And I'm sure you've seen it. And it's challenging, right? Because we know the studies and we know what what works and doesn't work and, you know, kind of works. But always being in front of a screen is not... I'm actually like cutting down my screen time personally for myself. Well, I look back at my own childhood. You know, I grew up in the 80s. I I did too. Shout out to us. (laughs) Myself a little bit, but I grew up before the internet and before cell phones. And I feel like I'm a very creative person. (laughs) I think Um, most of our generation, right? Like we came out in time and it was like, Oh, do you want to like go play outside? You know, it wasn't like a weird thing to say. It wasn't a weird thing to say. And at this point, you know, there's a lot of the discussion. You had to find your own friends. You had to find your own friends. You had to find your own friends. And and the discussion in the toy circles right now is all about, oh, you know, you should be developing apps to go with your toys. Mm. That's the big thing is is toys that talk back. Toys that tie into technology. And to encourage technology from an early age so our kids don't, quote, fall behind. Mm. And... I'm sitting there looking at my own life and looking at the life of other really successful entrepreneurs that I know. And it's like, you know what? We didn't have any of this before we were in our teens and none of us are behind. (laughs) So I guess we need to redefine what behind means, right? My definition of behind is if a child is struggling, right? Mm -hmm. And they are just frustrated as they can be then if you're not providing the, the gaps for their learning, then that's falling behind because they feel uncomfortable and then therefore they're not confident with what they're doing. Right. Then that makes a child like shrink, right? And we don't want them to shrink, right? We want them to thrive and get out there. So I think for me, that's behind, right? That's when you go, okay, what are we going to shore up here? You know, like, is it the executive function skills? Is it the social emotional? Is it, you know, as simple as you just need to run around more <laughs> before you get back in there, you know? Which is usually the case. <laughs> right? It depends on a kid, but some kids, yeah. Like my kid today actually self-regulated herself. She was jumping on a couch, which we actually do allow because we have downstairs neighbors and you know that life, right? Apartment living. And so she was jumping on a couch and I was like, my husband walked by and go, I guess you gotta, you still got some energy going. And we would just let her go. We're like, go for it. <laughs> you know, just looked at her. Burn like, it off. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I mean, no parents appreciate that. But also I think in the 
time constraints that people have in classrooms, it's like, oh my God, we got to get to the next thing, right? So it's about slowing down the rhythm of your classroom. And how do you do that when you're under so much pressure, right? Um, and when there are so many of them. I don't know what class right? sizes are like, right? you are, but man, yeah. 20 kindergartners. I know. Oh, oh. And they're tribal. Those five like children are tribal. <laughs> yeah, at least five. Too many. At least five. So you've been a part of like holiday gift guides and magazines and all that fun <laughs> stuff. And so I'm thinking when you get presents, you know, what type of or like if, you know, as a parent, I would love to get uh, like a present to my child's classroom. What kind of toy? I know you said open-ended, but what else can we be looking for when we're choosing toys for like special occasions? Hmm. I would say anything that gives the control of play back to your child is a good mm. toy. Um, I mean, we, you know, open-ended toys, we've all you know, blocks and dolls and in some cases play food and, you know, anything that expands the imagination. But more than that, I like to tell folks when they're choosing toys, if you can think of at least five different ways to play with that toy, it's probably Mm. a good one. Oh, I like that as a check mark. Yeah. Yeah. If it's anything less than five, it's probably (sighs) something that goes to Goodwill or to the, yeah, that's a good benchmark within a few months. Yeah. But if you can think of more than five ways to play with a toy, it's probably a good choice. Yeah. And I think also like, we're so used to filling up the shelves and I thought like right now it's like at my child's (laughs) shelves. I'm like, Oh my God, these things are full, but also like reducing the amount of things on the actual shelf, right? Yes, reduce the, the choices, choices to increase right? the creativity. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, I agree. Because then you sit and overwhelm me, like, make a choice. And they're like, oh my God, my brain can only handle two choices, not eight, <laughs> you know. Or, Decision fatigue you know. is real. Like, as adults, we deal with it all the time. And I, our kids are dealing with it too. The more that they have available to them, they don't know yet what they love to do. They don't know yet how to choose. Oh, I only want to play with one thing this afternoon. And yeah, decision-making is hard. We always, we kind of have this rule in our household where we say like one toy out and I know we'll go through like five and we'll look at her like, no, 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 no. One toy out and then you put it back. It's very Montessori of us, right? Like (laughs) put it back. One, because like, we have a small apartment and we don't want to be cleaning it all day. Right? All day. practical of it, right, people? Like, the classroom and not in the classroom. But also just, like, we want her to be able to make a clear decision that's like, oh, I definitely want to play with this. Because sometimes she'll look at us and go, oh, never mind. Like, okay, never mind means you put it back. <laughs> yeah. You don't keep, you don't keep it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Our rule is very similar. It's uh, one play at a time. So, because... Ah. Again, as an architect, I can feel gets, like... Yeah, as she gets older, she'll... I'm one of those people that... up there. Yeah, I like to play with five different things at a time, but they're all playing in one scene. So with wow. our kids, we've started encouraging, you know, if you're going to have three different toys out, you need to be able to tell me and communicate that to me. That it connects to each other. Yeah, they're what older are, than What is your play? <laughs> and, yeah, we started that when yeah. my youngest was about three and a half. Right, yeah. Right around yeah, the time that we went into speech therapy with him yeah. was when we started telling them, like, you can't have everything out. Exactly. Unless yeah. you can tell me. That makes sense. How it yeah. all relates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
That's a good step <laughs> up mastery, right? If you go from one and then eventually you can have multiples, but it has to relate to each other. So but audience out there, we're kind of giving you guys the step-by-step <laughs> how to build them up to, especially going from parallel play, because that's where my two-year-old is at, to getting to cooperative play and how to bridge the gap between the two. That's a really great way to bridge the gap. And in between that, I would even say like, one toy, then invite one friend, right? Mm -hmm. And then move on to multiple toys with one scene, right? That's a really great way to see the progression. And kids naturally usually do it, but sometimes if there's a missing gap, I call it like broken play, which is like a disconnect Mm -hmm. between the play and like what the kid is trying to do and what they're frustrated with. So yeah. All right. So I'm looking at the time. I'm going to keep going. (laughs) So my goal is to have like 30 minutes. Okay. So if there's anything you feel like you love, because I realize, okay, so my, I listen to (laughs) the podcast and I can't, I can't listen past like 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. (laughs) It just sounds weird. It depends Um, on the topic for me. I listen to a lot too. Depends on the topic. Yeah. Depends on the topic. Yeah. I can never make it to an hour. I'm always like, oh, thank God. But you have younger children than I do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's my <laughs> no, I think I think you were just saying about the parallel play versus the cooperative play. And one thing that has been really cool to watch with my kids is the graduation. Oh, so they right? like they start with parallel play where they're playing side by side but not right, together. Exactly. And then individually, they'll start doing that storytelling play Mm. and all of their little toys. For my boys, it was always uh, matchbox cars. Oh, Just everything came back to vehicles for my little boys. Just very, very typical boy play. But it was so cool to watch. They went from motion Mm. to relationships. And so their cars would be mommies and daddies and brothers because that's our family. Yeah, no. And then they would go from those relationship plays to just in the past two years for us, my boys are five and seven. They've graduated into let's pretend. (gasps) Pretend they're doing this. Pretend they're doing that. But it was fun to watch it go from the car can drive, the car can crash, the car can jump, the car can now fly. And then the car is in a relationship. And the car can have a story attached to it. And now let's pretend. Right? So cool. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, they bring that out into the next level in their world, right? So as they get older, they're going to be able to remember, like you said, have these childhood memories to be like, oh, relationships, you know, how do we problem solve this, right? Like social emotional is so important at such a young age, because if they can't kind of go through that, then the academics doesn't matter because they're still thinking about, huh, how do I relate to people in this world? (laughs) So I think it's really important they go through that progression. Like we said, it's a gradual progression. And I think sometimes when you only have someone for like nine months or, you know, you're stuck in this mode of like, okay, like you said, got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep pushing, got to keep pushing, that we forget that it's a process. Right. It's important to go through that process. And like I said, with the broken plate, there's a disconnect because the process either got skipped or it's just stuck or someone's just frustrated. And I think it's important we recognize 
when it needs to be, okay, let's take a moment (laughs) and figure out how to fill that in. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great way to end. What do you think? (laughs) I love it. I love it too. All right. So tell my audience how they can find you. And she's doing great things. I forgot to like plug this in, but she's doing great things. (laughs) We have Mouth Loves Pig in regards to her team. Tell them a little bit more about your team and your website and all that fun stuff and where they can find you on like the the interwebs. Well, thankfully, other parents love open-ended toys just as much as I do. And so Mm. Mouse Loves Pig is growing and we are currently actively looking for outsourcing partners to make more of our toys, to make them more accessible to more families, which I'm so excited about. And I have a heart for beautiful toys made beautifully. So our toys will always be made in fair labor facilities. You will know exactly who makes the toy that your child plays with. And for us as a family, that's been part of our conversation that we teach our children. Like milk comes from cows and cows are raised by farmers. Bread comes from a baker. And at one point it was in the field. And the toys that they play with, we want to be able to tell them where those come from as well. And so Mouse Loves Pig Toys, you will always know who is making those toys because that's part of that conversation with our kids. And I think, I almost feel like kids can feel it. Yeah, Yeah, they they feel that, oh, this didn't just come from a shelf. Somebody made this for me. And how special to have something made just for that. So you can find us on all social media channels. We are Mouse Loves Pig. And our website is mouselovespig.com. And we are coming out with all sorts of fun new toys this year. I cannot. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I have to be honest. I'm always like stalking you guys. <laughs> And I'm like, mm, what else can I think about getting? <laughs> and every time I think about it, I, something sold out. By the way, it's limited batches. As no, but it's a great thing because <laughs> it is handmade. It's um, so terrible! I sell out batches. so often. That's why we're outsourcing. Is because we sell out way too frequently. And... Right, but it's a good thing. So <laughs> that's how awesome they are, you guys. They completely, completely get on their mailing list. And, you know, she'll be able to tell you when stuff is back in stock. So I will show you some sneak peeks, but we have some sneak peeks coming out (laughs) to our email list in the coming weeks. We've got some some really fun new things. Hey, y'all, I am back. I wanted to pop on in on the end of today's episode and say thank you so much for listening. And if this resonated with you, leave me a review on your favorite podcast app. And if you're like me and you're a geek for resources don't forget to check out the show notes at themagicoflittles.com on the site. And thank you again for listening. It's an honor to be part of your teacher tribe. Catch you on the flip side.